Can be dismissed now. Lori, thank you again. Amen. <laughs> mm -hmm. Amen. Uh, something like that. It was a, a joy of a uh, sound of joy. Amen. Um, I read a, a story about a man who was in an accident and his shoulder was slightly injured. And the man decided that he was going to stick it to the insurance company and try to make a lot of money. And so he hired a crooked lawyer, and he ended up in court. And when he got to court, the insurance company's lawyer uh, asked him, Mr. Smith, would you show us how much your shoulder was injured by extending your arm upward as far as it will go, uh, depending upon how far your shoulder will allow it to go? And so the man raised up his arm, and he got to about there, and he said, man, that's about it. And then the lawyer said, now, Mr. Smith, would you show us how far you were able to raise your arm before the accident? And immediately he went like that. <laughs> Have you ever been caught? Have you ever been caught red-handed? Have you ever been caught and you were guilty and everybody knew it? Maybe you're cruising along Highway 72 at 72, amen. And you're driving toward Florence and you see this state trooper in the oncoming lane. You don't turn your head, but you watch him in the rearview mirror as he whips around in the median and lights you up. He pulls you over and I always think that's a wonderful feeling, isn't it? It's not that big a deal, really, but, man, your stomach just drops. But if you're honest, there's nothing you can say. You're guilty, and you know it. You know you're going way too fast, and the only thing that's going to save you from a very expensive ticket is just a little bit of grace. This morning, we're going to encounter someone else who is in desperate need of grace. In John chapter 8, we find a powerful story that teaches us that from God's perspective of perfect holiness, every one of us are sinners and have fallen dreadfully short of the glory of God, and we all desperately need not justice, we need God's grace. So turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 8. And let's read what the Word of God says. Verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? But they said this, testing him, that they might have something with which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down 
And he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Now when Jesus raised himself up and he saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You know, there are a great many religious people who claim, say claim. Oh, they claim to know God. They attend church whenever the doors are open. They read the words of their Bible. They pray wonderful prayers. They may even serve in the work of the church. But if you look at the way that they judge people, if you look at the way they treat other people, you'll find that they lack a fundamental under, misunderstanding of the grace of God. Here in John chapter 8, we're going to ask three questions today that I pray will open our spiritual eyes about the grace of God. The first question I want to ask you is, are you ignorant of God's grace? Are you ignorant of God's grace? <laughs> that looks pretty ignorant. Amen. Verse 3. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say, Jesus? They said this, testing him that they might have something with which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So it's early in the morning. The sun has just come up. And a multitude of people have gathered together around Jesus because they want to hear him teach. And then suddenly, sudden, several arrogant religious leaders barge in interrupt Jesus's teaching and they drag this woman and set her right in front of him. Now the Bible says that they made her stand in front of the group as they shouted out the charges against her. Can you imagine how this woman must have felt? How belittled, how humiliated she must have felt. You know, sometimes the religious are the worst about shaming people. But John also tells us that this whole thing is a setup. For you see, in Leviticus 20 verse 10, 
The Bible says that if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, then the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So my question is, where's the dude? Where's the guy? Where's the man? Where's the adulterer? We see the adulteress. Where's the adulterer? Well, if the truth is known, he's probably involved in this whole scheme. How else could the hypocrites have known just when to barge in and catch her in the very act first thing in the morning? The adulterer is probably involved. But you know, if you look at the whole picture, it's really quite a clever trap. Let me explain. The law of Moses specified that if a person committed adultery, they were to be put to death by stoning. That was the law of Moses. However, Roman law absolutely forbade the Jews from carrying out executions. So if Jesus does not condemn this woman, he breaks Jewish law. But if he does condemn this woman, then he breaks the Roman law. Either way, these Pharisees and scribes, these religious leaders, these hypocrites, think they've got Jesus right where they want him. It reminds me of a wonderful movie I saw entitled First Night. First Night is the story of Camelot and King Arthur and uh, King Arthur's beautiful queen, Guinevere, and King Arthur's most trusted knight, Sir Lancelot. Well, as it turns out, Sir Lancelot has an affair with the queen. And Mordred, one of the former knights of the round table who had turned an enemy against Camelot, catches Guinevere and Lancelot in their adultery and begins to constantly ridicule King Arthur. Much like our biblical story today, Lancelot, the man, escapes. But Guinevere gets captured and she's sentenced to death by the court. As King Arthur is called upon to signal the execution, Mordred, the enemy, mocks him with wicked joy, saying this, Arthur, what a magnificent dilemma you have. Let her die, and your life is over. Let her live, and your life's a fraud. Which will it be, King Arthur? Do you kill the queen or do you kill the law? What hypocrites we find here today. Hypocrites, religious people who are accusing this woman of adultery while they are plotting murder. Do you see the hypocrisy? But before you come down on them too harshly, I wonder, do we do the same thing? Do we point out other people's sins when we know good and well we've got sin in our own life? These Pharisees justified their hypocrisy the same way we do. We look at our sins and we say, ah, my sin's not so bad. My sin's just a little sin. But then we come down on how other people sin. 
I read a survey that was taken many years back, and it raised the question. It said, of 15 prominent fig figures, who is most likely to go to heaven? 79% of the people said Mother Teresa should go to heaven. Y'all agree with that? But only 79%. Mother Teresa should go to heaven. And then there was another name, Oprah Winfrey. 66% said Oprah Winfrey should go to heaven. And then it came to Bill Clinton. 52% said Bill Clinton should go to heaven. Oh, I'm not done. Then we came to Pat Robertson. Religious figure in Republican circles, Pat Robertson, 47% say he, he should go to heaven. Then they came to Dennis Rodman. Anybody know who Dennis Rodman is? The basketball player? Crazy, man. Well, 28% thought that Dennis Rodman should go to heaven. And then finally, 19% of the people thought O.J. Simpson should go to heaven. But none of those celebrities got the highest score. You won't believe who got the highest score. The highest score came from those who filled out the survey. 87% believed that they themselves were going to heaven. Many believe that they have a much greater chance of going to heaven than anybody. Why? Because of what they do or don't do. In all actuality, they are ignorant of God's grace. Because God's grace doesn't have anything to do with what you do or don't do. God's grace is available to every human being. God's grace is available to all who will accept it by believing in His Son's finished work on the cross. But I have a second question for you. Not only are you ignorant of God's grace, but are you convicted by God's grace? Look there in verse 7. So when they continued asking Jesus, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left standing alone and the woman standing in the midst. Can you sense the tension here? The religious leaders have just dropped this, this rhetorical bomb, this, this question, very difficult question on Jesus. And everybody's wondering, what is Jesus going to say? Is he going to break the Jewish law or break the Roman law? Everybody's wondering. But notice that at first, Jesus doesn't answer at all. Instead, he bends down and starts to write in the dust on the ground. Now, what in the world was Jesus writing on the ground? Well, I've got a very theological answer for you. I don't know and neither does anybody else. The Bible doesn't tell us. But, here are a few possibilities. Maybe he was writing a list of their sins. 
See, the Greek word for wrote in the Bible implies making a list. So many believe that Jesus, knowing the hearts of these men, were making a list of their sins. Maybe he was writing out the Ten Commandments. You see, in Exodus chapter 31, the Bible says that God inscribed the Ten Commandments with his finger. So maybe Jesus was just doing it again. Amen? Maybe it was like Jesus saying, Listen, guys, don't instruct me on the law. I wrote it the first time, and I know each one of you are breaking it. But maybe he was writing down their names. Listen to Jeremiah 17, 13. Oh, Lord, those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. Written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord. Either way, we read that they keep on questioning him. They keep on questioning him. And Jesus says, if any of you is without sin, let him start the stoning. So with these words, Jesus made the, the religious mafia very uncomfortable. He made them as uncomfortable as they had made this woman caught in the very act of adultery. I'm sure they were stunned. What a great answer. It, they probably thought that Jesus was going to let the woman go and therefore break the law of Moses. But what does he do? He upholds the law of Moses. This woman deserves to die. That's what the law says. Why does she deserve to die? Because adultery is sin. Because it violates the marriage covenant. It wrecks homes. It injures innocent children. She broke the law. And the law says she deserves to die. But do you notice that Jesus does not say, you better start throwing stones at her. Or better yet, that you better not. He didn't say that. He didn't say you better not throw stones. Instead, what he said was more like a command. He said, you better throw stones at her. If you're sinless. You look at the way that that sentence is constructed. That's what he's saying. You better throw stones at her. If you're without sin. See when a person was condemned. To death by stoning. Normally they'd be thrown into a pit. And then. The person who witnessed the grievous sin would spit on the victim in the pit and pick up a stone and he would have to throw it first. Then the other, after the others waited for the first stone to be thrown, then they would send this volley of sharp and heavy rocks that would cut into her skin and crush the bones. But only when the first stone was thrown could the execution begin. So I think what Jesus was saying to these men, and listen carefully, what he says to you and I this morning is this. You are no better off than she is. Your sin is no different than her sin. Sin is disobedience to God. And if you have sin in your life, you're no different than she is. Your hearts are filled with murder. Your hearts are filled with hatred. 
Your hearts are filled with wicked thoughts. There's no difference. There's no difference between your sin and her sin. Someone once said that if our inner thoughts were written on our forehead, every one of us would wear a hat. I don't want nobody knowing what my inner thoughts are. <laughs> so then Jesus stoops down again and he begins to write. I get the sense here that no one was talking. Almost like an eerie silence. And during this time of silence, conviction, conviction begins to settle in their hearts. So what was he writing this time? What was he writing in the dust this time? Maybe just four words that we find that were written by the finger of God in the book of Daniel. Those words were, mene, mene, tekel, epsherim which when translated means you are weighed in the balance and found wanting. You are weighed in the balance and found wanting. Just like this woman, these leaders were caught in the very act. The very act of sin. And in verse 9, it begins to tell us that they all begin to go away, the older ones first. Every one of them were convicted by their own sin. It's always a lot easier to point out the sins of other people than it is to confront our own sins, isn't it? As the religious leaders filed out with shame on their faces, they were admitting that they had no business judging somebody else. But don't you love the end of verse 9? The end of verse 9 says, And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Jesus was the only one qualified to deliver judgment. Why? Because he was the only one without sin. And did you hear his judgment? First of all, can you even believe that the woman's still there? Man, when those religious leaders started filing out, I can't believe she didn't boogie with them. Why didn't he, she just leave? Well, I think she stayed, and I think she stayed for good reason. I think she stayed because of this third question I want to ask you. And the third question is this. Are you desperate for God's grace? In verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now at this point as I'm reading through this narrative, I realize how little I know about this woman. We don't know anything about her. I mean, was she gentle and likable? Was she harsh and obnoxious? As she stood in the midst of her accusers, was she softly sobbing? as tears ran down her face? 
Or was she glaring at those who had drug her into the middle of the temple? I mean, think about it. She had been caught in her sin and paraded in front of everybody. But what makes this story so beautiful is not the woman. What makes this story so beautiful is how Jesus treated her. You see, Jesus treats her with dignity. While those religious leaders were treating her like an object to be used, Jesus saw her as a person. Jesus saw her as a creation of God with incredible worth. Friend, I want you to know this morning that if you're feeling worthless, God, Jesus, will always treat you with dignity. But maybe Jesus was treating her with grace. I believe he was. This woman was condemned by the leaders, condemned by her own sin. But by the grace of God, Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. I love the truth of Romans 8.1. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But not only did Jesus treat her with dignity and treat her with grace, Jesus also treated her with hope. Man, this woman needed a little hope. She needed some hope for the future. And Jesus said, go and sin no more. In other words, from now on, leave your life of sin. I'm giving you a fresh start. I'm giving you a new beginning. I'm giving you a clean slate. You see, I always find Jesus to be very forward-looking. I never see Jesus being so past-focused that he can't be forward-looking. Jesus gave this woman a new Lord. He gave her a new life, a new lease, a new identity, and praise God, the power to overcome her sin. Now, some people mistakenly think that grace means, well, God will forgive me, so I'll just go do what I want to do. But that's cheap grace. And we all know that the grace of God came with an incredible cost. The cost of his son, the one and only son. See, Jesus is not only interested in what you've done, He's interested in what you can become. Jesus is forward-looking, not past-focused. He loves you so much that he won't let you go on living the way you've been living without change. So when it comes to grace, we're all in the same boat. None of us deserve it, but we all desperately need it. So have you been ignorant of God's grace? Be honest. Do you point your finger at others but forget how much you, how much you have been forgiven? Religious people aren't very good at this. Have you been convicted by God's grace? 
Are you reminded about how much you still need the forgiveness of God? Friend, are you desperate for God's grace? Are you realizing your need to go and sin no more? That sin in your life creates a barrier between you and God. And do you realize, friend, that, that sin in your life breaks God's heart? Do you avoid doing things that breaks God's heart? Are you desperate for his grace? Maybe you haven't received God's grace. See, it's something that must be received. George Wilson was sentenced to pay because he killed a guard while he was robbing a federal payroll train. And at that time, the people were beginning to lean away from the death penalty. And so President Andrew Jackson pardoned George Wilson. Jesus. 
sins can be pardoned. Our sins can be forgiven. We can be given a new identity, have a new Lord, receive a new name, become a new creation. And we can walk in this life sinning no more. Please stand.